Gotta say, uh, Tim, the editing looks really good. Making, I'm making a French film. Yes, you are. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> actually, uh, actually, I do know how it happened. It's really, really good. We've uh, everybody, you know, t in case you're you're late to to the shows, uh, we had a little hiatus a few weeks ago during which Tim shot himself a film, yeah. and he's cutting it right now, and it's looking really good. I'm proud to say I shot that film in ten full days. Yeah, ten days. You know, it's a cheaty little film because yeah. it's mostly set inside my car. But I shot it in 10 days. Yeah. And I know the thing that, that people like to do, they like to make a movie, make it look good, look like a yeah. million dollars. Uh, they like to do it for a buck 95 and then go out and tell people they did it for a million bucks. Yeah. That's the, you know, people, that's Hollywood. Yeah. Sure. Here's the deal. I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, I'm not playing that particular game. I made a book, I made a movie for a buck 95. I made it in 10 days. It's a very good movie uh, starring an excellent young actress. Uh, and it's uh, you can do this, and the reason yeah. why I want people to know that is because I actually want people to know that you can do this. You yeah. can do this. Yeah, you can. Mm -hmm. And uh, also in the news, we uh, we lost Burt Reynolds, yeah. which I kind of never really imagined was going to happen. We did a little, we did an interesting little thing on the uh, on the Cinegods site. Go check it out at yeah. uh, cinegods.com. Uh, between Tim and Ray and me, we we all kind of weighed in on on Burt and what he means and represents. And you know, he he. He was, it's weird in the, the Me Too era, and we can talk about Les Moonves in a second, but in the Me Too era, Bert is that throwback to that Playboy moment, right? Late 60s through the 70s, right into the 80s when everything was, yeah. you know, sexual revolution. And, uh, and he was the, 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 the sexy guy, the sexy kid that wouldn't grow up. He did the Playgirl spread. I mean, all that stuff was a, a departure from previous generations of movie stars he was a he was a completely iconoclastic and of that era and yet we still love him and and and, and i hate to even put that uh qualifier in front of it the end yet you know i mean yeah. I, I don't want burt reynolds to be an and yet person i think that you know what, we, what we're gonna have to start doing in, in terms of maturing uh, as we deal with these things is simply taking taking all of the content of a person's life uh putting it in some sort of a context uh, and then letting it weigh out uh, properly. Yeah. Uh, and the, and there will be those who are at the uh, Matt Lauer, Les Moonves, uh, Harvey Weinstein yeah. uh, end of the spectrum who will have done uh, amazing things in their career. But I'm afraid those amazing things are going to be overshadowed uh, by their behavior, their boorish behavior. And that is as it should be. Henceforth and forever, whenever we talk about Harvey Weinstein, we're going to talk about the Harvey Weinstein mess first yeah. we're not going to talk about his movies and that's and that's going to be his ultimate uh punishment uh yeah. and and people like that bert uh bert a man of his uh, of his period um uh it, it did things that men shouldn't ought to do in, during any period bert bert uh you know we will say allegedly because i think you have to in front of these things yeah. hit judy Carn allegedly yeah. uh hit lonnie anderson um um uh and uh, not okay not remotely okay. Yeah. In the large context of Bert's life, it seems to me that most of the women he dealt with uh, loved him dearly. Sally Field had some beautiful things to say, and she yeah. also had some pretty rough things to say in an article. Um, uh, but she also said she loved him. Yep. Um, so I think with Bert, we're gonna have we got a situation where we can talk about Bert and talk about his movies. We can talk about Sharky's Machine. 
Deliverance. Love. And I know everybody goes to Deliverance. I, I know. know. Well, that's the but one that... Dude, come on. Sharky's yeah. Machine. Sharky's Machine, he owned that movie. It's yeah. not an ensemble movie. Well, that's and he true. directed that. It's not and he directed it. Borman is you know, the other movie. You, you, you want to talk about what Burt could do as a director. People forget that. And, and I think there are two films that bookend his career as a director. Sharky's Machine is one because it's tough and it's badass and it's cool. And the other one is the end. Oh I my love god! The end with his with his with his long people forget their longtime friend Don yeah. Delaware. They were uh, thirty yeah. year, yeah, three four movies. And we talk. The end is yeah. on Blu-ray now. Yeah. You know, we talked about that and some months ago. And it is as funny today, yeah, as it was. It, by the way, all and of it's these about movies suicide. Flop. It's about suicide. All of these movies flop. Gator flop. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think Burt directed five movies or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, all failures, <laughs> box office failures. Yeah, they all still play. They all they still play. I just find that very funny. I, I, I talk about Bert in, 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 in juxtaposition to Clint. Kind of contemporaries. But, well, you know what? It, if you go to that period of the, the early 70s, Bert was the number one um, box, you know, star, according to those polls. He was the number one star five years in a row. And then he was uh, like three of the next four or something like that. Anyway, the only person that ever beat him in any of those off years was Clint. Yeah. So they were the two. They were the big two during those years. It's, it's interesting that, look, it, it worked this way. If Bert had a choice between being profound and entertaining, he always chose entertaining. Yeah. Uh, Clint chose yeah. profound. That's it. And thus you get Unforgiven and a whole bunch of stuff. With Bert, you get Cannonball Run. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, and I got to tell you, both of those movies are perfect. I'm, thank God they yeah. both exist. Yeah. So that's what I think about True. Them. And we, we have to also remember that uh, Burt put Jackie Chan in a couple of those Cannonball Run yeah, movies. Now, yeah. he played Japanese, which ooh, is not ooh. acceptable today. Uh, it just, you know, that, that people know better now. Nonetheless, for all of the, 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 the wacky missteps of those movies, um, you know what? Jackie was given a big Hollywood paycheck at a time when nobody else was willing to do that. And he was trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to tell folks, seriously, if you if you haven't seen Shark has been seen, which is set in Atlanta, by the way. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and it has one of the best best death. Bernie Casey. Yeah, that scene. Yeah, man. Yeah, come it's on, great. it's Dude. great. And Bert directed that scene. Bert and Bert yeah. let Bernie have that. Bert, he did. Bert was like, take it, take it, Bernie, All take it, way. Bernie, and he ran with it. I got to tell you too, he did an Elmore Leonard. I think this is his last movie as a director. Maybe not. Not the cop and a half. Movie. Uh, Stick. Oh yeah, which was an Elmore and Lynn. That's, That's right. a good movie too. It is. Yeah, well, sure you know, like, so you know. Anyway, anyway, Bert. Yeah. Well, and you know, of course, uh, Boogie Nights, which got him his Oscar nomination. He was always uh, a little pissy about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his final film, you know, the last movie star, which is loosely based on him, uh, I think is uh, is a worthy swan song uh, <laughs> because it uh, it it touches on all you know it uses clips from his previous movies and it's very semi-autobiographical in a in a very respectful way and uh self-reflective he and, 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 and i and self-reflection in that movie and know? i applaud adam rifkin for doing that yeah. that's a that was a sharp movie and a, and a wonderful valentine most stars don't get that kind of a tribute in their final film or in any film yeah so that yeah. was a good one all right. Well, with that, we'll uh, we'll jump into some uh, some DVDs and Blu-rays. It's uh, we're getting into the holiday season pretty soon. We will uh, obviously have uh, a lot to say about the awards contenders as they start to emerge from the festivals at Toronto and Telluride and Venice. There's a lot of good stuff coming out, so we'll be talking about that too. I'm going to start off uh, blow through some KidVid. Uh, the Muppets, of course, are kind of always out there in the news. And recently, because of the, uh, the the movie directed by the Happy Time Murders, directed by uh, Jim Henson's son, 
which is sort of about R-rated, murderous, drug-using, oversexed, uh, Muppety creatures. Uh, you know, the, the, the brand, I don't want to say it's been tarnished, but it's gone in a different direction. Anyway, Disney still owns the Muppets proper and doesn't really use them to their greatest advantage, so that's why it's nice to always get things like Muppet Babies, Time to Play. Now, uh, anybody who listens to this podcast knows we don't, we're not really fond of the uh, the little, the thing where you take a, a, a group of characters and you make them babies or teenagers, like, you know, Teen Titans or whatever, just to, to kind of get a little extra mileage. But, and normally Muppet Babies, when they're animated, are a little bit annoying. But in this case, they're straight up Muppety Muppet Babies, and it actually kind of works. This is Muppet Babies' time to play. Uh, complete two hours of stuff. Uh, four episodes, a couple of bonus episodes, some, uh, you know, ten different uh, uh, shorts, six music videos, and it's cute, and it's wacky, and it's fun, and it's, you know, Kermit and Miss Piggy and Fozzie and Animal and all the rest of them, uh, just as babies, Muppet Babies, Disney Muppet Babies time to play. It's fun. I will recommend it. Uh, Garfield's Halloween Adventure, just in time for Halloween. Uh, Mark Heiser, of course, does not uh, much care for Garfield, and by the way, we're gonna we're, we we have a little report from Mark today too. Oh, yeah. Mark uh, Mark went to uh, a festival in uh, in France Deauville. in Deauville, yeah. and uh, gave us a little report. So we we chatted with Mark for a few minutes, and we will uh, we'll have that right at the end of the show. Yeah, and uh, he's so, right about that cat too. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Of course, Mark can't stand Garfield because you know he likes pizza and all whatever. Uh, but yeah, so they they uh, kind of threw out a, a very quickie Garfield Halloween adventure DVD. Um, no, no real great reason to get this unless you just want to put something on during the Halloween party and make people wonder why you're a Garfield fan. Uh, then we got a thing called Unikitty. Now, I've never heard of Unikitty. This is a, uh, a Warner series. Uh, this is called Unikitty Sparkle Party. It's very, very clearly Japanese influenced. It's got kind of a weird Hello Kitty vibe to it. And it all takes place in the Unikingdom, and it's all about Princess Unikitty, which is some kind of Lego thing. So I don't quite know where this came from. It's a little anime, a little Lego, a lot of Warner. Anyway, this thing's on television. Apparently it's popular. It's freaky to me. This is a two-disc set. Uh, you get about um, you know, 16, 17 episodes out of this thing. And it all kind of escapes me. So if somebody wants to tell us what the whole deal is with Unikitty, I would I would welcome it. It's a it's a very strange phenomenon to me, and it's weird even in the Lego world. Uh, we've also got PJ Masks, Mighty Moon Problem. Uh, PJ Masks, of course, are you know little superheroes. That's the uh, the thing now. Catboy, Owlet, and Gecko. And uh, there are six episodes here, which are perfectly fine and cute. This skews very, very young, but for, for if you want to, you know, kind of temper the superhero exposure for young children from the uh, harder DC and Marvel stuff, that's mm-hmm. the way to go. If you want to go a little bit tougher with the, uh, the uh, superhero stuff, you got the DC animated movie on Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, Movies Anywhere. Uh, this is really cool. This is the uh, DC animated movie Freedom Fighters: The Ray. Now, I'm I, the Ray is not really on my radar as far as the uh, the DC superheroes go, but um, and this all takes place on Earth X, and you know it really plugs in in a very interesting way into the uh, the DC universe. If you're a DC aficionado, you will completely get this. 
And of course, you know, you get Flash and Green Arrow showing up here as well to kind of uh, kind of give you a little anchor into more familiar heroes. But the Ray is a is a pretty cool hero, and I really I like the fact that they went out on a limb and they and they did this. So mm-hmm. Freedom Fighters, the Ray, out on Blu-ray, nice addendum to the uh, the DC world. Uh, also from Warner is Scooby Doo and the Gourmet Ghost. It's an original Scooby Doo movie. Uh, they're not throwing a lot of cameos in here from, uh, you know, the World Wrestling Federation or any of the other stuff as they have lately. Of the new Scooby-Doo movies, this one feels more like the uh, older ones. This one feels okay. The there's a there's a cooking thing going on here, and is Giada De Laurentiis an actual person? Mm, I don't know. No, that's the, that's uh, the chef one, here of, of of one of the oh. Yeah. Okay. So there Definitely. is. So there is a cameo yep. here. That's what I wasn't sure of. I I don't watch cooking shows, so I uh, yep. I wasn't sure. Anyway, that doesn't detract from it. It is a. Uh, so anyway, this this one feels like old Scooby Doo, which I was I, I appreciated. We also have from Warner uh, and from uh, Cartoon Network another Ben Ten Omnitricked. Ten, uh, 17 episodes of uh, Ben 10 here, uh, which is a lot, and uh, they're all very Ben 10 y. It's uh, not really, this show doesn't really change all that much. It just continues to do the same thing over and over, which I guess is fine for people. Uh, I got a couple from PBS Kids Ready, Jet, Go, Jet's First Halloween. This is a, a CG animated show that, uh, you know, again, coming out for Halloween, four episodes. Uh, I not really, the, haven't really caught the the whole jet phenomenon. Some kids really like it. Again, it skews very, very young. Daughter's not into it because it's a boy. Uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, the best of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood family fun collection. Uh, it's funny. My daughter does not really get into this, but I, I was at somebody's house the other day, and their kids were all over it. So I guess somebody likes it. Uh, eight episodes here of uh, the, again, very young skewing Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And then some good stuff from Nickelodeon. Again, getting into the uh, Halloween uh, spirit of things, we've got uh, uh, Paw Patrol Halloween Heroes, which is, you know, cute if you like Paw Patrol. Again, that scores to skews to boys. Uh, we've got SpongeBob SquarePants, The Legend of Boo Kini Bottom. You get it? It's not Bikini Bottom, it's Boo Kini because yeah. it's Halloween, and that's why. So uh, it's a little scary uh, SpongeBob SquarePants, which made me think I'm really kind of looking forward to Aquaman in a, in a month and a half. Uh, and uh, then we also it's you know you're not yeah I I know I I, I'm hoping it's good I like Jason Momoa I do (laughs) Tim's not on board and then an all new uh, Paw Patrol movie Mighty Pups uh, which is a Walmart exclusive. So if you want this one, you got to head on out to Walmart and, uh, and grab it at Walmart or, or buy it online. comes with a voodoo digital copy that you can add to your library if you have uh, Ultraviolet or uh, Movies Anywhere. All of that already shows up in, uh, in voodoo anyway, so there you go. Anyway, that's it for uh, KidVid this week. Uh, nice selection. Nothing uh, really remarkable here except for the Ray, which I think is super cool. Very, very cool on the Ray. Got to like check that, that out. For sure, for, for sure. I have a little uh, LGBT uh, cinema here uh, that I'd like to go through. Uh, this was a neat little movie called Venus. I love this movie, uh, a Latin movie. This this is uh, this is about a this is about a young man, woman, man uh, uh, who comes out as female. Right now, his mother uh, has been pressuring him uh, to get married and, and 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 have a child. Instead, what does she get? He tells her, No, not only am I not doing that, I'm uh, I'm a woman now. 
So he does. Uh, and then who shows up? Uh, his 14-year-old son, uh, oh, who no. he didn't even know he had. Because, oh. you know, even when you're gay, sometimes you... you this know. is a comedy? Yeah. All right. And it's just as Good. funny as hell as this 14-year-old boy shows up to his dad, who is now a woman, and his grandmother. And, and, and the funny thing about it is it sort of all works out, and it's really, really sweet and funny. Uh, as as one might expect it to be. It's called Venus. It's a very sweet film from Wolf Video on DVD. All kinds of really neat features, too. Uh, well, a few features, including uh, various different subtitles. The Year I Lost My Mind was actually pretty intense. I, I rather enjoyed this. Um, uh, this film is about a guy um, uh, who uh, encounters a burglar in his house. Uh, they, they, they have a very intense moment. He's extremely attracted to the burglar. He starts stalking the burglar, mm -hmm. turns the tables. Okay. Uh, uh, very, very intense. A well-made film, uh, film. You know, and it's mostly just about the sort of nature of that relationship, the, the, the thriller part of it. Um, and uh, it's only 85 minutes long, German with English subtitles. Um, this one is funny. It's called Sodom. <laughs> It's about this kid who, who, who goes off to one of these sort of, uh, you know, uh, wild sort of gay yeah. potty parties, sure. you know? Yeah. He hence ends the, up being... Hence the title. Yeah, hence the title. Yeah. Uh, it's right in the title right there. <laughs> he ends up being get, getting himself uh, handcuffed to a light pole. Uh, you know, he's just, you know, he's just... Sure. He's, but sometimes these things happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fortunately, this very nice young pianist... Oh, he's naked. Did I say he was handcuffed no. naked to the light pole? <laughs> that, uh, naked to the light pole. And, uh, and, uh, and only in gay cinema can you get yeah. away with that. Think of a movie starring anybody else you know where you can actually even do that. Anyway, a, a guy comes along, a young pianist, helps him get off the light pole, takes him home. They start a relationship. It's a very sweet and funny little movie. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, with a perfectly wonderful title. And then we have one documentary, No Dress Code uh, Required. This is about a couple, an actual couple, of, uh, 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 a male couple who want to get married down in Baja, California, yeah. when it was still illegal. Because, you know, Baja has its own sure. Uh, Mexicali and all yeah. that kind of stuff, and they, you know, and they could have come just sort of come up to the United States and got married, or yeah. really, but they decided not to. Uh, and this is a documentary that follows their fight to be able to legally get married in their actual hometown. What's interesting about this is that everybody in the town is totally for it. Like, no <laughs> one is against it. It's just, it just happens to be illegal. And, but everyone is like, yeah, guys, get married. It's, I mean, everybody is like, uh, but you know, we, uh, we've got to change the law. And it's, you know, I kind of like that. It's See, sweet. This is a this is a more diverse collection of LGBT films than what we normally get. Yeah, they normally hit a few. It's like faith based cinema. There's usually a formula, right? A template that they all just they keep, figured keep out. You can't into. do that anymore. And that's that's good. Yeah, what, that's you, good. yeah. Everybody should figure it out. You can't do that anymore. Can't do that. All right, moving on to new movies. Got a couple of 4Ks here. Uh, Going to start off with Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, and the Made last a crap load of money, but it's still terrible. I, I just don't care. I just don't care. They went and got uh, J.A. Bayona to direct it, who is a good director, but is just saddled with a horrible, horrible franchise. The, 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 the resurrection of this franchise with Jurassic World, I don't know... I mean, of course, I know it's money. You know, We well, could yeah. get these actors, and, and, the, and, the, and it made a ridiculous amount of money for Universal, but you just can't squeeze any more out of this premise you just can't it's like it's like when they just went to the well too often with jaws yeah it's it's a one note thing yeah you go to a park that's supposed to function and then the park goes haywire and now you're running for your life at a certain point you stop trying to have a dinosaur park yeah 
at a certain point, you just say, you know what? It's the, the central question at the which top is, of this film. <laughs> the, the scene with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. The one moment I yeah. like in the film. The central question is, uh, should we do this thing that will kill all the dinosaurs? Yes, should you we should. finally just kill? And Jeff yes, of course we should. Yeah. What is wrong with you people? Dinosaurs <laughs> have been eating the children for 25 years. Kill them all. It's the dumbest question ever posed in a movie. It, I, it's just they never make the right choice. No. It's like every Friday the 13th or uh, or, or uh, Halloween. Halloween movie. You know what? Of which there's another one, by the way. I know, yeah. I know. Which which apparently is very good. It's David Gordon Green, which is weird. Not Did, really. Not, at this point, when you look at his, his, his yeah. filmography, it's just a silly mess. Yeah. Crap. It is. Mostly crap. From you George know. Washington yeah. to Halloween. Yeah. I don't You know, and, and Your Highness is in there. I know. Yeah. Anyway, eh, we've said too much about it. It's on 4K, 4K Blu-ray, and and uh, yeah, yeah, it's just too much stuff. They got Chris Pratt's Jurassic Journals on here, by the way, too. If that's of any interest to you, but otherwise, I mean, does it look good? Yeah, yeah. Fine. And then so over here, I've got Ocean's Eight, right? So Ocean's yeah. Eight, and, and you know, it was this terrible? No. Am I as pissed at this as I was at that? No. Yeah. Uh, was it good? No. <laughs> no. It's not actually good. What's good about it are all these ladies. Yeah. I, I love these ladies, and you know I can you know, I can watch Sandra Bullock just walk around, you know, I, whatever. That's a you know, terrific I really cast. It's a terrific cast, and yeah, even even Rihanna there. But you know, uh, I just I, other than why not just write a movie, a caper film, yeah, for these women. Why, Why make it Danny well, yeah. Ocean's sister? Yeah, yeah. And, and jam it into that hole. I mean, I know, again, we, we ask these questions that we know the answer to. Yeah. We, you know, franchises and this and that, yeah. the same thing with over there. But I just, I don't know, it just seems so, you know. Yeah, I, mercenary. I, mercenary. No, write a movie. Caper film. A caper film about eight women, and they can do whatever the hell these women can do rather than just sort of repeat the crap that the boys did in another movie. I think it's kind of insulting anyway. There's a whole lot of special feature crap on here. So we got a Blu-ray movie here called Siberia with Keanu Reeves. Uh, this is a uh, this is a truly terrible movie. I this was developed within Keanu Reeves's company and with his partner, and and I won't get into the details of this because uh, when I I had to see this for Film Week, so I saw mm. it in the screening room at uh, WME, mm. and um, uh, the. That screening room is very red. Let's just put it that way. Mm. Every every bit of upholstery in that room is red. So we felt like we were cradled in a womb. <laughs> I was there with Charles and Claudia, and it was it it was very symbolic because at a certain point we we felt like we were sort of trapped behind enemy lines and we couldn't get out. The, the here's the gist on this: Keanu is a diamond merchant trying to set up a deal in Russia. Uh, Molly Ringwald is his wife back home, who you only see through Skype. And um, he's trying to do a thing, and things are going south, and people are dying. And I won't get into all the gory details, but it's never quite clear why any of this is happening, why he has to be in Russia to orchestrate a deal between someone who has the diamonds who's already in Russia and someone who's buying the diamonds who's already in Russia. It's never quite clear why these, these, these diamonds are so valuable, where they came from, why this is an illicit deal, why this needs... None of this is clear. All it's known is this is how he makes a living. And then there's a Russian woman at a cafe that he winds up having an affair with. And then she gets in on this. And then there's this horrible, horrible scene with a Russian mobster. It's, a, it's just a bad movie that just goes on forever and doesn't make any sense at all. And then 
the one special feature on here, Passion and Intrigue, Bringing Siberia to Life, which is a featurette that tries to tell you why this movie exists, and all it does is open more questions. Mm. I don't understand. Um, the Big Take uh, is a movie here. This movie would like to be, oh, any movie that, that Quentin Tarantino made uh, across the arc of the 90s and a few other directors like him. And it even has Robert Forrester in it. Uh, you know, quasi Elmore Leonard yeah. kind of kind of thing going on here, but but it's really not very good. Interesting cast uh, of people that I really really like. Um, generally speaking, James McCaffrey and Zoe Zoe Bell from of the you know Quentin Tarantino films. Zoe Bell, uh, Dan Haida, and Robert Forrester. Obviously, basically, what you got is this uh, movie star. Movie star uh, made a tape some years ago that he'd rather not go viral. Uh, he's being blackmailed. He hires a detective to go out and find the, the person who's bl blackmailing him. The detective finds a guy, but that guy is not actually the guy who's blackmailing him. Uh, but now that he is involved with uh, this detective and that movie star, he wants to get that movie star to actually uh, agree to make his movie, to be in his movie. And in order to do that, he's willing to do whatever it takes to find the guy who's trying to blackmail the movie star in the first place, the guy the detective was supposed to find. Uh, and uh, and it sort of spins out of control from there. Anyway, you end up with Zoe Bell with this pickaxe. Nice. Yeah. Sure. Go there. Uh, and and uh, and uh, and, you're, and you're in a perfectly decent little crunchy movie. It's you know this is not great stuff, and certainly a movie uh, Justin Daly directing um, that's uh, sort of built from and speaking to a whole bunch of crunchy little movies like that. But you know if you know if there's a world for this kind of stuff, so what the heck. Uh, got a couple of Blu-rays here. Things go wrong when everything when you think it's just going to be a wonderful little or an average day or a nice little job or a trip or something, and then everything goes wrong and bloody and horrible. Uh, both of these are kind of in that same vein. The first one's an Australian film called Goldstone, where worlds collide. Uh, basically, you got a detective who's you know doing a, a routine missing persons inquiry in this small town, and then of course it's it's not routine. And yeah. Next thing you know, he's he's in the he's in the muck. Uh, but it's a it's a cool because it's Australian. It deal it, there's a lot of very specific stuff uh, has to do with you know Aboriginal history and and uh, the wonderful David Gulpalul is in this. Uh, David Wenham, Cheng Pei Pei, Jackie Weaver, the uh, Oscar nominee uh, yes. from uh, Animal, Animal Kingdom, Kingdom, who I was so delighted to give our LAFCA award to at that time. Uh, she's just ten terrific as always. Uh, really a, a great cast, sharp little movie. This would have gotten a theatrical release in the United States uh, 15 years ago. It's on Blu-ray now. I do recommend it. It's really, really, it's just good independent filmmaking, Aussie style. You definitely want to check it out, Goldstone. And then the other one is uh, Denise Richards and Misha Barton in Denise. The Toy Box. Uh, uh, here, this is the tagline, vacations can be deadly. Yes, they can. Most vacations are deadly. Uh, that's why you just don't take them for crying out loud. So uh, you, uh, the the idea here is that you know you got this family trying to get over their own issues. They hop in an RV and uh, they head on off to a uh, a vacation, which is supposed to be kind of like a therapeutic RV vacation, right? To yeah. to get your get your family issues all together. And um, next thing you know. The, there's a well. They're 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 stranded, and things happen, and things really bad happen when you're stranded in the RV. So let's let's just say this is like a this is like a slasher thriller slasher slash uh, thriller <laughs> horror thriller. Uh, you know, crosses all those all those things. But 
Normally, you go out to the cabin in the woods or to some remote location. The hills have eyes. You're, you're out somewhere remote uh, and things happen here. You take the cabin with you. The RV is just bringing that remote cabin along mm-hmm. with you. So wherever that is, that's where trouble are going to be. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the, the, the RV, the, what's interesting about this is the, the RV is also a, a thing. And I, I, mm. I can't get into why the RV is a thing, but it's, it, it's, the RV is also a thing. Nah. So it's like a character. So it, the toy box and the title does make sense. It's not just a, a random thing. It's an odd thing because that is more or less the exact same movie as this. <laughs> <laughs> Truth or Dare, which is about a heart, which is a horror movie about these uh, about these uh, these eight uh, college friends who who rent this yeah this this horror house, a house where several people, uh, young people, were murdered yeah. uh, when they were playing this game, Truth or Dare, yeah. and they ended up dead. So they're going to rent this house on Halloween, go there, and they're going to play that damn game. You, you know what happens? Same thing that happened to the other kids <laughs> because that's. The point of a, the evil house. It's an evil house, guys. You don't want to go over there. Uh, Cinetail Films. You look, this stuff is fine. Uh, Halloween's coming up. Uh, you know, get yourself whacked up. And then we've got Bi- Trench 11. Violence is contagious. That's the tagline. Violence is contagious. Trench 11. Uh, this is all about, this is a World War I thriller, kind of a, kind of a, a genre thriller of sorts. Uh, you've got this biological weapon that uh, Allied troops discover when they, you know, after World War One, or, or or in the process of wrapping up World War One, they get into this under, underground bunker, and there's this biological threat, and uh, then it, you know, basically becomes kind of like a like an alien zombie movie. It's basically what it is, um, or a virus movie, you know, Andromeda Strain. In any case, it's one of those movies where there's a there's a there's a biological threat, and now it's it's eating them alive and the whole thing. So. Um, the uh, but it's extremely well done. It's uh, it's suspenseful. It's well shot. Really well acted, and it's a sharp little indie. And uh, bravo to uh, to Robert Johnson and his RLJ Films for Trench Eleven, which is only on DVD. It's not on Blu-ray. Probably should have been on Blu-ray because it's mm. really well shot. It would have mm. been great on Blu-ray. Interesting. I got a good one here too. I actually uh, I covered this film on Film Week as well. Robert Pattinson and Mia Wasikowski. I really have come to. Well, I've always been nuts about Neil Wachowski, but Robert Pattinson, uh, who didn't start well with me in those stupid, uh, yeah. you know, whatever vampire yeah. movies, I guess they were. Uh, and you know, and he once he got himself disentangled from that goofy stuff and started hanging out with Cronenberg and you know real filmmakers, he has developed himself into being a very interesting actor with a good deal more in common with you know people like Jeremy Irons and. Uh, and um, uh, um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, there will be blood. Uh, right, 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 right. Uh, and yeah. uh, Daniel, um, Daniel Day Lewis, Day Lewis, than with the I don't know the the, the tight wearing crowd who bounce around the Marvel and DC universe. He doesn't yeah. do that. You'll notice this kid has not put on any tights, dude. Yeah, uh, you know that, like I, I, that's on purpose. Yep. After he did that vampire crap, he got yeah. paid. He's paid. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know what? I can act for the rest of yeah. my life now. So good for him. Robert Pattinson. This movie right here, Damsel, interesting film. Eight, set in eighteen seventy. Robert Pattinson is this guy, quirky guy, and he is ostensibly gone out west to um, hire Robert Forrester uh, uh, to take him to find Mia Wasikowski, who he says has been kidnapped. Right okay. and taken out into the boonies. Nice. He's going to go out there. Why not? He's going to get the his love back. He's going and he's and he's. It's all kinds of very twilighty. Very twilight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, uh, very very uh, interesting. This is what happens in this movie. 
this movie walks you right up to a sort of obvious sort of circumstance where a thing that you think is going to happen is going to happen because it's happened in a thousand movies just like this movie. And never not once does the very obvious thing ever, ever, ever happen at that moment in this movie. You're standing right there. You've seen a hundred movies, a thousand movies. You know what's going to happen now. It don't happen. Something else happens. The thing that happens instead is a perfectly reasonable thing that could happen at that moment. It's just not ever the thing that you expect to happen in that, in the, in, in that moment. And this movie does that all the way through. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. Mia Wasikowski, Damsel. The title, mm -hmm. so perfect, because what she would like more than anything else is for all of the men in this movie to leave her the hell alone. <laughs> alone. That's nice. what's going on in this movie. The Zellners, uh, David Zellner um, uh, and Nathan Zellner, brothers, directed the film. David Zellner plays a very important character in the film, too. Very good actor, too. Sweet. Uh, yeah, neat. Uh, we've got some PBS stuff, and we're going into TV now, uh, and three from PBS. The first one on Blu-ray uh, is The Miniaturist, which is based on the Jesse Burton bestseller, and uh, this was aired as part of Masterpiece, <laughs> takes place in uh, the late 17th century, and it is really, really, really well done, especially anchored by this amazing performance from a young actress named Anya Taylor-Joy, who I've never heard of before. Mm. But she is sensational. Look out for her. She's going to be really, really good. Uh, the, um, this all takes place in Amsterdam. It is, it is a you know, British production, but it takes place in Amsterdam. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's um, how, would, how, would you, how would you put this? It's almost like a... I don't want to. I, I hate comparing all these things to Downton Abbey, but this is this is very much the the intrigue uh, in a house. This is the the intrigue of a household. It's it's similar to Downton Abbey in that sense, in that there's all of this uh, all of this stuff that goes on in this household, and it centers around the this uh, small miniature of the home, and. Uh, that's where the title "The Miniaturist" comes from, and the the uh, the the art of miniaturizing things, which is a metaphor for all of the other stuff that goes on in this thing, and uh, the idea of uh, you know doll houses and and things related to dolls have always been kind of a part of of really gaudy thriller metaphors. But um, in this case, it's really it's very interesting. It's very smartly done, and uh, the you don't see what where this stuff goes. You just see absolutely nothing coming. It's, it's really cool, and the fact that it takes place in, you know, 1686 Amsterdam just makes the whole thing even more kind of odd and gothic. It's really, really cool. The miniaturist, really worth checking out. We also have season five of The Great British Baking Show, which continues to make me hungry every single time. Uh, I can't make any of these things. My wife is a baker. I'm, I cook. As people often say, mm. cooking is art, baking is chemistry. Mm. And that's very true. Mm. Everything has to be right. You can't just like, I can put a chicken on the grill, and if it's, you know, four minutes or six minutes, whatever, it's okay. It'll, it still tastes good. Yeah. The difference between, you know, four and six minutes on the grill isn't much. Four and ten minutes well, isn't even that much. Salmonella, but other than that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but once it's cooked, it's cooked, right? Yeah. You know, uh, no. The difference in baking, the no. difference between thirty seconds and thirty-five seconds can be night and day. It yeah, can be no complete, chemistry. Yeah, can be yeah. complete catastrophe. The difference between you know uh, one one little tiny piece of yeast 
and you know like a little like a like a quarter a quarter okay i can put as much pepper and salt on most foods as i really want it's all gonna say <laughs> yeah. it's gonna taste pretty much the same right you get like an eighth of a teaspoon of yeast that changes everything oh yeah it rises so, it don't rise yeah anyway uh it's an enjoyable show uh but seriously the tarts just killed me they just about killed me I, I just want to eat them so badly. And then uh, Anne of Green Gables continues to come back on television in a million different incarnations. In uh, this one, Fire and Dew. Anne is going off to college, and it drives her parents crazy because they just don't know how to deal with uh, sending a kid to college. That goes on every year all over the world in every country. People send their kids to college, and they freak out because mm. they don't know how to deal with them growing up. Yep. They just happen to do an Anne of Green Gables Movie about that. Outstanding. There you go. MacGyver season two. Uh, if you had asked me uh, when uh, they, you know, uh, um, rebooted MacGyver, that there would be a MacGyver season two, I'd have called you crazy. Yeah. I continue to be incorrect about these things as uh, Magnum PI and Hawaii Five O and all of the sort of television shows of the seventies uh, and eighties that you and I grew up loving uh, get rebooted. I hate every single one of them. <laughs> I hate this one. Uh, and but there it is, season two, and I imagine there will be a season three. Uh, MacGyver in sure. Cuber, uh, in Cuba, uh, saving the day, blah blah blah, <laughs> all this kind of crap. Gag reel, deleted scene. Once, um, again, if you had uh, told me, I think it's almost been once it, upon a time. Once, once upon a time, yeah. yeah uh, once upon a time, if you had told me back when they when when they created this series with that little boy and you know that whole storyline, yeah. Storybrook, and you know yeah. crossing over Cinderella, yeah. hooked all this kind of crap, that it that this would last twenty. Twenty-two episodes. Yeah. Uh, uh, in this final, in this final must-see season, uh, and they did everything you can possibly do in this goofy show. Uh, and there it is. People just love this I've stuff, never, and I just I've don't never, get it. I've never understood this show. My mother-in-law loves it. Uh, it's one of the few. Thi- Look, I, as uh, people of my beloved mother-in-law's generation are prone to do, they are kind of luddites. She can pick up her cell phone and have absolutely no idea how to get a text, how to read a text, how to send it's just it's a it's a mystery box yeah. to her. That cell phone is a mystery box. We can sit and watch this show. She understands every single interlocking storyline and every single overlapping non-linear. Yeah. She gets this thing. I, I'm confused to, to death. Oh, I don't get it. There are like three different hooks in this show. It's uh, ridiculous. A hook in this realm and a hook in that realm. And all it's, 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 all, it's all bananas. Uh, but there are people love it. Uh, all kinds of bonus extras, Blu-ray, this, that, and the other thing on here. Once Upon a Time. Uh, final season, 22 episodes. The uh, very, very cool Swedish series Modus is in its season two. Uh, Kino Lorber snatched this one up. I would normally have expected this from uh, MHZ Networks, but uh, they're getting some stuff over there at Kino. Uh, in any case, the uh, this is season two of Modus, which is a really, really, really cool um, uh, political kind of thriller show. I I guess the best way to uh, explain this, this is based on the best-selling novels by Ann Holt. Um, and and Kim Cattrall is in this, by the way. Mm. Kim Cattrall plays yeah. the president of the United States. Yeah, outstanding. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, there's a... This is... This, this is all about political intrigue, uh, mostly between the United States and Sweden in this second season. And uh, you would think that there wouldn't be a whole lot of mileage there. But somehow Sweden, as sweet and lovely as it is, they find room for intrigue. You know, uh, g- Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and all that stuff. There mm-hmm. are dark corners in that country that uh, suggest all kinds. So it's not quite like House of... Uh, House of Cards, yeah, but it uh, there are aspects of that to it, and uh, some really great, some really really great uh, performances here, especially by um, Melinda Kinneman, who plays the uh, criminal profiler Inger Johanna, 
and uh, Henrik Norlin as the uh, police superintendent. So uh, it's really it's it's really good. Modus season two, mm. and uh, along the same lines, yep. the must own final two seasons of Scandal, set in the in the yeah. political intrigue of the yep. United States, kind of. Um, uh, the interesting final two seasons, so you have season six and uh, the uh, complete and actual final season, season seven, in this box set, set here. Uh, you know, uh, some of the most profound television of the last ten or fifteen years has been created by Shonda Rhimes. Yep. Uh, Shonda, you know, a, a sister, uh, and I just think that it, it should go noted uh, that uh, you know, it, it marked a profound change in the dynamic of television that a uh, black woman has been able to create, produce, and put on television, I don't know, some six or seven series now, uh, most of which have been really successful, including Scandal, um, uh, for you know, more than a decade. I mean, that, that has to be marked. You know? It does have to be marked, and it's this is we've talked about this on this show before, which is that most of these barriers that people imagine are uh, economic barriers, they really aren't. It's only once you knock them down that you realize that you've been depriving yourself. It's the old Fred, Fred mm. Williamson story, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he mm -hmm. went, went to Cannes to sell his movies, and people said nobody wants to buy a movie with. Uh, you know, with you in it, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll, we'll see." You better, you better take the. You know, we're gonna give you a buck ninety-five. Yeah, buck ninety-five. You're black. Yeah, and if we, they don't in Europe, and yeah. no, 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 no. no. And, then, and he waited, and then the last day of the festival, they all came back and paid the man what he wanted. Yeah. So you know, these these things do have a way of self-correcting over time. Yeah. I wish it didn't take so much time, but it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Looming Tower, limited series Looming Tower, is not as good as the book. I bought this book right around the time that it came out, which was within about a year and a half of 9-11. Yeah. Uh, anniversary when all just, uh, just two, a few two, days, two ago. days ago. Or, I mean, yeah. A couple days ago. Uh, anyway, the, the Looming Tower is essentially the journalistic account of the rise of uh, the, the book I'm talking about, the rise of Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda, and uh, how the failure of our intelligence services contributed to that rise, and on and on and on. It's a fascinating book. It's really incredibly well-researched, incredibly well-documented and supported and, and footnoted and all that stuff. And it's, if you have a chance to read it, if you haven't read it, it's superb. It's absolutely superb. Um, it was especially superb, you know, when it came out because it was just so much in the, in the, in the shadow of 9-11 and how did this happen. In any case, the, uh, they turned the book finally into a miniseries and obviously had to carve it down to its bare essence and, in, you know, invent a lot of stuff in terms of characters and, and incidents to sort of clear the dramatic hurdles necessary to take a very dense nonfiction book and make it uh, dramatic. That's fair enough. They, did, they kept intact all the essential stuff. So I would almost say if you watch this with Zero Dark Thirty... Mm. You're, that's, that's, that works best for me because they complement each other in a really great way. Otherwise, despite kind of bare-bonesing it, um, some wonderful performances in here, some really terrific stuff, especially from Jeff Daniels, who can do absolutely no wrong uh, anywhere at any time. He just keeps killing it. So, uh, And you get some you know, behind-the-scenes featurettes and uh, some commentaries and things like that. But uh, otherwise, Blu-ray and uh, digital copy version of, uh, of uh, Looming Tower, limited series, just mm. superb. Um, I have the complete third season of Supergirl. Uh, people who listen to this show know right. that my favorite thing on the planet <laughs> is Supergirl. I love her so much. Uh, and I love this series. Uh, I love uh, this actress's Supergirl. And I love this season. This was a really, really great season. It was a very emotional season uh, of Supergirl, um, uh, where Kara was, is, is, you know, she's, she's just like, you know what, this whole sort of Kara Danvers thing, maybe I'll just keep this outfit on and be Supergirl 24 hours a day. How about that? And, and, and I'll just, and I'll 
I'll just skip all that other crap and, you know, and go around banging stuff. Uh, and, 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 and who just likes soak? And you got rain and all that kind of stuff and the world killers. Um, this also completes all uh, four of the crossover episodes with the Arrow and the DC Legends of Tomorrow and the Flash and all that kind of stuff. A whole bunch of featurettes. Look, man, if, if you don't do anything else uh, with any of the things we talk about today, this is the thing to get. Uh, I could I could just do this all day every day and then the flash but right now Supergirl third complete season so Watcher in the Woods was an old Disney movie that they uh, apparently <laughs> felt hey let's uh, make this again now it's not based on the Disney movie it's it's uh, based on the orig- original uh, uh, source material the same source material as the Disney film Watcher in the Woods and uh, Melissa Joan Hart decided, I'm going to direct this. So she, Melissa Joan Hart stepped behind the camera, made Watcher in the Woods with uh, Angelica Houston and Tallulah Evans. And uh, it's basically the same thing. I don't know if it's better. I don't know if it's worse. I mean, it's certainly stylized. It's decent for a, for a Lifetime TV movie. Um, and, you know, it's the, the idea of this you know girl who went missing and then another girl that looks like her and the creepy old lady in the manor and don't go in the woods and yada, yada, yada. It's, uh, it's the same old thing. So anyway, uh, Watcher in the Woods, new version, directed by Melissa Joan Hart. If you like the original, you'll like this too. Uh, Scorpion, the final season. Thank goodness, I hated this crappy show. Uh, <laughs> near an, an hour of special features. Look, why, why is it that uh, whenever Americans do uh, sort of super uh, scientist-y, sort of detective-y kind of, you know, uh, uh, yeah. like, they're always quirky. Yeah. You know, and the, every single person in this show was 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 a quirky stereotype of a character. You know what I mean? Like that, like yeah. it's like a '60s television show or something. Like a nerd over here and quick over. And, and the, oh man, I hate. I just hated. It. I just hated it. Scorpion in the final season. Thank God. Uh, Madam Secretary, starring uh, uh, season four. <clears throat> Look, I. I I appreciated this show. I liked it a lot. I've, I, I always had a hard time getting through it because you and I know that we developed yeah. a series. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I watched the show, I know. and I think about that series. I'm like, oh, I know. man. I know. You, you know. I hate this town sometimes. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, Tia Leone is fantastic in it. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty solid show. Special features include deleted scenes and some extended uh, uh, um, uh, episodes and, and, and whatnot. Uh, Madam Secretary, season four. Got a, a little gem here. This is on Blu-ray from VCI Entertainment, uh, distributed by MVD. Uh, this, is, this, this heralds really good things to come. This is volume one of television's lost classics. Now, there's a lot of TV from the 1950s that, I mean, most TV from the 1950s, we don't even have anymore. I, mm. think, the, I think the Milton Berle Buick Hour uh, specials that were out on, uh, right. from Image on DVD, that's out of print. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that is just impossible to get now. Uh, What we've got here in Volume 1 are two new high-definition restorations of primetime specials directed by Sidney Lumet. Hmm. Uh, That's right. There is Crime in the Streets and No Right to Kill, both of them starring John Cassavetes. Now, I just want to say, Sidney Lumet... Sidney Lumet... John Cassavetes, Cassavetes. live TV drama. Man. I shouldn't need to tell you what these are about. It doesn't matter. The title's actually about crime in the streets and no right to kill. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's all you need to know. But um, this is when when people really cut their teeth as directors. Mm. Why was Sidney Lumet such a good director? Because he had to go out there with actors, rehearse the hell out of them, like they were going to put on a stage performance. Yep. 
and then go out and cameras roll, and you're not just up on stage performing now for a room full of a few hundred or maybe a thousand people. No. You're in front of cameras with millions of people watching you mm-hmm. in their homes, and the actors aren't just hitting the proscenium. They've got to hit marks for cameras, and cameras have to hit marks, and these cameras don't have, no. you know... Giant all, cameras on no, them. No, these are... Gi- I mean, yeah. everything about this is... This is what directing... This is where you really cut your teeth. Why was Sidney Lumet such a great film director? Because yeah. this is where he went to school. Yeah. This doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, that, that was... that. Uh, all of that was actually before film schools. They were figuring Amazing. it out as they were going along. Amazing. Sidney Lumet. Wonderful so, photographer and cinematographer, though, that w- people forget. Watching this, you learn so much. So I highly recommend this. Television is Lost Classics. Uh, volume one, the primetime specials, uh, Crime in the Streets, and No Right to Kill. It honestly, it's it, this is just superb. You, you can't do wrong. And Modern Family, the complete ninth season. Who would have thunk again? Uh, but I suppose that's sort of um, probably a. Yep. Well, yeah, sure. Anyway, 3D sets contains all 22 episodes of the ninth. Of the ninth season, special features include a a gag reel. Look, I watched about a season and a half of this, maybe back when it first started, and I think I might have dipped into like the fifth season or something like that. It's a really sweet, funny show. I can see why people like it, uh, but you know, I bailed well before the ninth season. I'm going to assume this is all pretty good. All righty, and then we've got Paterno, uh, the uh, the Al Pacino basically playing Paterno, Joe Paterno, the great college football coach. At uh, at uh, Penn, who yeah. Penn State, who, yeah. who kind of you know would have mm-hmm. had the greatest legacy of all time, if not for that whole you know harkens se- back to what we were talking about before Jerry Sandusky yeah. and the whole uh, anyway yeah can't can't talk about Joe and just football no more yeah it's it's sad it it really tarnished a, a whole legacy but nonetheless uh, there's still a lot of legacy there but it makes for for great drama and Al Pacino you know what he really does a great job. I mean, Al Pacino can be a real ham at this state, and, and I, he's not somebody that I would normally cast in a biographical role. Like, can Al become this person? He does. He's he, straight he, up Paterno. He's done it twice now because he Nails did it playing Kevorkian too oh, in that right. HBO that's movie. Right. And, sure and, and frankly, I think that that's when Al gets gets contained a little because you know Al will go, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But gets but, very broad. He, but but uh, when he has to play a guy, you know, yeah. then he has to play that guy, and and fortunately, he he will submit. Well, anyway, this is this is quite good. This is uh, on DVD from HBO, not on Blu-ray. Not quite sure why, but it comes with ultraviolet, so you can uh, you can add that and always have it at hand. Uh, Silicon Valley, the original HBO series uh, from Mike Judge and Alligator. Look, um, this was a neat uh, show. This is the complete fifth season. It blows me away how, how long some of these shows sort of hang around, and it's interesting. So, so you know, the sort of uh, group of actors uh, that uh, these shows sort of spit out. Um, this is about a guy trying to build a company in Silicon Valley, you know, uh, and uh, and all the trials and trails and tribulations of that. Uh, it's a pretty good show. Uh, it's uh, been nominated for several Emmys. There's not a whole lot of special features on this ultraviolet digital copy, copy, you know. So, Silicon Valley. All right. And then last on the TV end, uh, before we, uh, we we kick into a few documentaries to wrap the show out. Uh, is Murdoch Mysteries, Home for the Holidays. I love the Murdoch Mysteries. 
and they've they're 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 the this is the first holiday themed thing. I would normally hang on to this for our our, our holiday show, but they they got this out so early. It is not even October yet. Yeah, and they've already got this thing out. So uh, the Murdochs Murdochs family Christmas turns deadly. No, yes. Uh, so we got the we got the holiday whodunit uh, in this feature length Murdoch mysteries home for the holidays out in time to get everybody uh, completely nuts about Christmas coming on. It's really good. I mean, you know, it, it's not too dark. It's uh, it's just right and it's really smart. And this show continues to be just the most endlessly solid show on British television. It just it you know year after year after year. It's just it never ends and it's great. Murdoch mysteries home for the holidays. Uh, let's do some docs. Uh, uh, let's see. You want, you want to go? Yeah, let me hit this. Uh, I got some PBS stuff here. Animal Mummies from Nova. Um, this is, okay, in ancient Egypt, they didn't just mummify people. They mummified their pets, you know? Mm. And uh, it's really weird. But anyway, th- this gets into all of the, 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 the animals, you know, the discovery of the animals that were mummified in ancient Egypt. And uh, it's really kind of interesting and fascinating uh, because there's, st- you know, you would think, okay, cats for sure. We know the Egyptians were into cats. All right, dogs, fair enough. They like mummified fish, mm. the beetles, crocodiles. It's like all kinds. It just gets weird, man. It gets really freaky. Uh, so uh, this is the exploration as to why and what was the point of this and like beetles. Why would you mummify a beetle? So this is uh, this all, you know, is is kind of a a, a forensic effort getting into the uh, archaeology of it, and it's really interesting. It's typically great Nova stuff. Another Nova that's really timely right now because as we're recording this, that Hurricane Florence mm. is just pummeling people in yeah, North and South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, I've got a friend in uh, an old film school buddy in North Carolina who's po- posting some very interesting and cryptic Facebook things. Mm. I'm not quite sure if he stayed to, to weather it or not. Mm. It's weird. I'm trying to figure out, are you safe? Are you not? Are you, well, if he's are, posting, he can, are you, he's are got you, an internet connection. Are you delirious? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's called Rise of the Superstorms. And uh, this sort of focus is primarily on the, uh, the summer of 2017 when uh, there were just a, a series of really massive, massive storms, beginning with Harvey and what it did to Houston. And, you know, it's, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. That was... Uh, you know, it feels like a long time ago. But anyway, uh, so this this is dealing with climate change and how you, you know, w- the impact that it has and how you deal with the storms and are they going to end and a lot of climatology and uh, and science in this and meteorology. But it's uh, it's interesting in, in the way that it looks toward the future. How do we cope with this in the future? And it's it's really good. So more engaging than something with this much science would normally be to me. And then Frontline does their typically amazing work on UN sex abuse scandal, which has kind of fallen off the headlines a little bit. Um, yeah. But uh, the the there are nearly 2,000 allegations of sexual abuse by UN peacekeepers in all places all around the world that uh, still have to be dealt with, and um, this goes to the to the, the nuts and bolts of that and. Uh, it, it gets into some details so that they're not just numbers. Who are the people that these happened to? Who are the children that these happened to? Who did them? Who's accused? How did it happen? And it's gut-wrenching once you get past the statistics and you start to see the human faces. It's really uh, – it's, it's hard to watch, but it's essential. UN sex abuse scandal. All of that from PBS. Wow, 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 wow. That's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, An American murder mystery uh, from Lionsgate. This is a three-disc collection that takes a look 
at six of the uh, most uh, infamous, I guess you would call them. Oh, this, has, this is the one that has the Natalie Wood Yeah, in including yeah. the Natalie, which, which is an yeah. odd one, um, uh, if you ask me. So it includes uh, the Casey Anthony case, the Scott Peterson case, the Joan Benet Ramsey case, the Jody Arias case, I don't really remember that one, the Chandra Levy case, uh, and of course the Natalie, the Natalie uh, Woods uh, the case, the one celebrity sort of case that I think is yeah. a, a weird sort of outlier. Anyway, it, it looks at everything that has ever been collected with respect to uh, legal documents and interviews and, and, and all of the business that is associated with each one of these cases. It does not draw any conclusions about any of them. Uh, but you know, for, the, for folks sort of like um, interested in that sort of business, of which I never have been, to be honest, um, the fact of the matter is, lots of lots of uh, murders go unsolved. Yeah, most true. murders go unsolved. That's what actually happens in this nation. Uh, Rolling Stone uh, stories from the edge: fifty years uh, defining our culture. What's interesting about this? Uh, Jeff Daniels narrating, uh, directed by uh, you know Oscar-winning director Alex Gibney, is that in addition to looking at the music, you know Rolling Stone uh, magazine, uh, it, you you almost have to look at all of pop culture as well as politics. Uh, uh, the 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 the, uh, uh, the uh, feminine movement, a uh, feminist movement, uh, the the politics of race uh, come into, uh, into into stark reveal here because as particularly as hip hop music uh, and and um, uh, you know acts like Ice T and sure. Ice Cube come onto the scene in the '90s and what that means in terms of politics and all the kind of all of that is covered here. So yeah, it's a, it's about Rolling Stone and music and 50 years of that, absolutely. But everything is just covered in this, uh, uh, narrated by, both by Johnny Depp and Jeff Daniels. So one of the books that was a, a big deal when I was growing up was Island of the Blue Dolphins. Uh, you know, when you're in, when I was in elementary school, that was essential kind of young reader source material. Island mm -hmm. of the Blue Dolphins. And you know, once it's, but it's still good to read. It's just it's written in a way that's a, that's very accessible for kids, and the story is very you know really strong. And it's a survival story, but it's not too dark. And uh, it's just it's a great novel, and it's sold millions and millions of copies. Uh, you know, it's also a very American story. The young Native American uh, girl who you know spent uh, eighteen years on the. Uh, um, on the ch one of the Channel Islands out here off of the uh, coast of Santa Barbara. So, I mean, it's a great story. Anyway, this is a documentary about that actual woman. So, Alone on the Island of the Blue Dolphins, a documentary by Paul Goldsmith, who goes to the actual places and gets in all the archival material and really does all the, uh, all the heavy lifting to, um, to, to kind of tell you this story in a very, very tight hour. Mm -hmm. uh, this, you know... It, what's, what's interesting is I don't think when I read the book uh, as a kid mm. I ever realized that it was a true story Based on what you're until I went to the Santa Barbara mission where she is buried. Mm -hmm. And that's where you go, oh, my gosh, that's a, so that's a real story. That wasn't just, like, made up or whatever. Like, it, it sort of dawns on you in that yeah. moment. So if you, you know, this takes the extra step and really goes the extra length. And it's, it's, it's just wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Alone on the Island of Blue Dolphins from First Run Features. Mm. Fantastic. A wonderful little fashion documentary about uh, fashion uh, maven Vivian Westwood. I love, uh, you know, I love, I love fashion, fashion, all this kind of stuff. Vivian Westwood, uh, and Malcolm McLaren, who was the manager of the Sex Pistols about 40, 45 years ago, 50 years ago now, um, really sparked the whole sort of punk fashion movement. Yep. Uh, and, 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 uh, and she's just an icon and, uh, you know, a feminist and a, and, a, and a trailblazer. This is a neat little documentary. These people, these people plainly love Vivian Westwood. I do too. And she's still a badass. And a, and a uh, punk icon, Lorna, Lorna Tucker, is the director of Westwood. Fantastic.
Uh, and then we'll do uh, we'll do two more. We'll do that one, and then this one, and then we'll uh, we'll release from Mark and his report from Deauville uh, to Helen back the Kane Hodder story. Now, if you if you've been living in a cave, then you're the only person that understands that Kane Hodder is a legend in uh, horror films. Uh, Kane Hodder basically is known for playing Jason Voorhees in the Friday the Thirteenth films, mm-hmm. all of them. He's the guy that puts the mask on. Big, puts big his, dude. Big dude. Puts his hulking body behind it. And that requires some acting, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is just chopping people's heads off and using chainsaws and axes and murdering people. And he's wearing a mask so you don't have to emote through your face. All of that can be done badly. But that could be done badly. Yeah. As I- if you saw the uh, the recent, the, the, um, the, uh, which, which the, the, when they brought Darth Vader back in oh, the recent uh, Star yeah, Wars that's film. Oh, Solo. And and they did not uh, put uh, it was it was the one before Solo. It was, oh yeah 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 whatever it was yeah. yeah when they when they did not go and get David Prowse to yeah. put in the suit, you could tell that yeah. it was not David Prowse. No, it's just not a big, it's a big guy. It's a big guy. It's you know it, so there is acting there anyway. So this uh, this is all about uh, Kane Hodder and uh, telling you about you know his childhood and how he became a stuntman. And uh, how he got into the, the, you know, the, the how he got into these films, and and uh, you, you have all kinds of people who've worked with him, who are interviewed in this. It's a really, really interesting documentary about a guy who doesn't get enough credit. To hell and back, the Kane Hodder story. Ah, wow, interesting stuff over there. This is a this is a rather uh, painful documentary. It harkens back to a day that I remember, 1987, uh, a Vietnam era veteran named Brian Wilson. Uh, was protesting the shipment of weapons to Nicaragua. This is a big deal in the 80s. Uh, you know, I think I was still in the Air Force when, when all that was going on, Iran-Contra. I mean, yeah. you remember it all. It was just sure. a mess, Oliver North. And, uh, and, uh, and he was protesting the shipment of these arms to Nicaragua. He laid down on, a tr- on these train tracks where, uh, at a naval station where the shipment was going to go through, and, and, and someone ordered the train uh, to press forward, mm. he lost both legs. Oh, um, uh, and this is all about that period, that era, uh, what it has meant to him, uh, and blah blah blah. It's really, really a very poignant and moving movie. I, I do not know that I have that kind of commitment to any issue other than the salvation of friends and family. There you go. You know, I jump Most in front of, of a train for 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 a human uh, that I love, but not for an issue. I do not think. I I just saw a thing the other day about some guy that uh, took a machete uh, that w- to save a lady, just stranger. He jumped in front of a machete. Somebody was attacking people mm. and jumped in front of a machete. Yeah. He survived, but yeah. like, would I do that? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and that went until you're in the moment. Yeah. All right, so we had a chance to talk to Mark uh, from Deauville. We did a little Skype session, and uh, we're going to wrap the show out. Here is our conversation with Deauville Mark. All right. As long as Skype does not do a Doris Day on us, and that's a that's a <laughs> that's a reference to a Alaska dinner that we would all prefer to not to forget. Um, we are we, Tim and I are in separate locations, and Mark is in Deauville reporting on the uh, the Deauville Film Festival, which none of us have ever been to. Mark, how is uh, how has Deauville been? You know, I wasn't expecting much. By the way, hello to all the Synagogues listeners. I have not uh, been a part of the podcast for many months, and it is my pleasure to be back. Um, so I had never been to Deauville either. It is a beautiful seaside town in the Normandy region of uh, France, which Wade obviously knows very well. And, uh, you know, I was not expecting much because Deauville is not considered a major film festival. It's actually called the Deauville uh, American Film Festival because all the films at the festival are American. 
And so, yes, you're, li you're literally flying 5,000 miles away from America to go see a bunch of films that are American. But that's how they roll. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I've seen nothing good films here. There is um, there's a competition, and actually tonight they're going – tonight is the awards ceremony where they're going to uh, give out the awards and Best Picture and Best Actor and whatnot. Uh, but otherwise, I've seen nothing but good films. They don't really have, you know, blockbusters here. Uh, a lot of them are independent films, stuff like, uh, you know, Thunder Road, which is a great serial comic character study by uh, Jim Cummings. Um, Monsters and Men and uh, American Animals, which already came out. Puzzle is in competition here. Now, Puzzle is absolutely terrific. That's the one with, um, uh, uh, what's, uh, Kelly McDonald. Oh, if I'm Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so uh, there's been nothing but great films here. Another thing they do, which is kind of fun, is Deauville is a seaside town. And what they have in Deauville is they have these beach cabins. They have a very, very long boardwalk. And this long boardwalk just has nothing but beach cabins. And each beach cabin is dedicated to a different celebrity. And the celebrity has to come down. And there's, like, an American flag over their cabin. And they come down, and they are honored with their own cabin. They fly down to Deauville, and there's a big, you know, there's a big christening ceremony for their cabin. And every year, a couple celebrities get their own cabin. And literally, they have, like, Ilya Kazan has a cabin. Everybody <laughs> from Ilya Kazan to Adam Sandler have cabins. There's, there's hundreds of them. And, I mean, Gene Hackman and William Holden and Robert Mitchum, they all have cabins. Harrison Ford, I think, had, a, uh, uh, had his cabin given him a couple years ago. This year was Morgan Freeman. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, and for some reason Jason Clark, which I don't understand because he's not that great. I mean, <laughs> far enough, I mean, we, we love Jason Clark, but he's not like, he's not uh, Ilya Kazan. Um, so that was fun. I went to the unveiling of the Sarah Jessica Parker cabin. She was there and she signs the thing, waves to fans, whatever. And um, also last night was a very fun uh, tribute to Morgan Freeman. Uh, a, uh, they have three theaters here. One, the main theater is huge. It is literally almost as big as the Academy Theater on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. Wow. And that's, that's where the, uh, the Morgan Freeman tribute took place, and obviously Morgan was there. There was a, a French film critic spoke, a French actor I never heard of spoke, and then uh, Morgan came up and he spoke, and that was kind of nice. And there's two other theaters. One is um, at a casino. There's a, a major casino here in Deauville. Uh, there's also horse racing in Deauville and tennis in Deauville. Those are like the big things that they do. The mayor of Deauville has done a great job in making the town constantly interesting all year long with various festivals and whatnot. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a main theater, which is enormous. There's a, there's a theater in the casino, which is, you know, multiplex size. And then there's another theater that regular people go to that they just repurpose for the, uh, that they just repurpose for the festival. So there's only three theaters. So it's not a huge, huge festival. But there's a lot of good films, and I've seen a lot, and I'm posting reviews on uh, synagogues.com as fast as I can. And so, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And also getting drunk. Well, there you go. Yeah, I saw that. I saw you that know, on the uh, Facebook page. Here's the thing. Wait, I, wait, I, listen to me. There's something very important you have to know. Uh, so, in Normandy, there are two major hotels, gorgeous hotels over 100 years old. One is called the Normandy, and uh, it's, it's Deauville's. Which again is in the Normandy region of France. It's Deauville's, you know, oldest hotel, I believe. It's gorgeous, and they have a beautiful bar. And in this bar, they uh, they had alcohol. Wade. Um, Tim Tim's familiar with alcohol. Wade, not so much, but I'm just <laughs> I, 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 I've seen it. 
It's, and each drink is 21 euros. Now, 21 euros is about $24, something like that. Now, I'm not working. I haven't worked in a long time because I'm uh, traipsing around Europe. So uh, the idea of spending $21 on a drink, not my favorite thing. But I will tell you this. First of all, the drinks are unbelievably delicious. So good. Plus, they give you a little coffee cup size cup of cashews, another coffee cup size cup of chopped vegetables, and a third coffee cup size cup of uh, nuts. And sometimes, if you stay there long enough, they come around with these little French puff pastries. So basically, it's 21 euros, but it's not just a drink, it's dinner. Okay. Oh. Okay. I got it all figured out. Let me tell you something. I know how to spend 21 euros well. I'm going to get drunk and fat and full. <laughs> it's what I do, Wade. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, what, I'm just, I'm trying to think what questions, Tim, do we have any questions for him? He kind of seems to have covered all the bases. Thank you, Mark. Goodbye. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Wade. I am good. Great <laughs> to see you guys. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do have a question, uh, uh regarding the, the, the films that are over there. First of all, are they familiar with the fact that the wonderful actor Burt Reynolds died and how, and how are the French handling that business? Uh, they're not handling Burt really at all. They're not really, uh, they're not really into the Burt Reynolds thing. Um, you know, Burt, the people that I've talked to about it, they acknowledge that Burt Reynolds was, was a thing in America, but obviously he had a certain, you know, cultural importance within the continuum of Hollywood stardom that really means more to us than it does to them. In other words, he's no, Jerry, he's no, he's no Jerry Lewis. <laughs> Just gonna he's say. No, nobody's Jerry Lewis. Okay, but but it's funny because because like, one of the most anticipated documentaries here, you know, they, they they have a special section for documentaries, and one of the most anticipated ones here, which I saw and is terrific, is called "Nice Girls Don't Stay for Breakfast," and that's Bruce Weber's documentary uh, about Robert Mitchum, and Robert Mitchum, who does have a cabin here. Uh, cabin dedicated to him uh he's the topic of this documentary bruce weber so you know it's black and white and mm. very impressionistic and it's not a typical biographical documentary uh most of it was shot when mitchum was a lot older uh but it's terrific but they love i mean that that screen was packed mm. for nice girls don't stay for breakfast so that was that that was nice to see also uh, by the way another documentary which i posted the review on, on city gods is the, the whitney houston documentary Oh yes. Kevin McDonald, yeah, which is which is terrific. It's really good. I mean, again, he's you know he's trying to find out how this nineteen year old, this you know beautiful, talented nineteen year old girl, became this complete drug addicted wastrel, you know. And uh, he really, is, it's a forensic level of research, winds up tracking it down to uh, her family. She was pretty much doomed from the start. And if you see this documentary, Whitney, by Kevin McDonald, you'll you'll get a very fine sense of that. Yeah, it's really it's a real sort of interesting story. Funny, uh, all these years after after Whitney's death, there's right now running on uh, BET. Uh, there's a uh, Bobby Brown, Bobby Brown, Whitney, Whitney Houston's um, uh, husband, um, uh, um, uh, biopic, kind of a biopic running. And I don't know, it's it's really really interesting thing. For years in the black community, you know, we blamed everything that happened to the extraordinary Whitney Houston on Bobby Brown. Uh, Bobby must have done it. It must have been the influence of Bobby. And as it turns out, no, <laughs> not not really, not so much. Uh, Whitney was kind of Whitney when Bobby met her, and that's why she liked him. Yeah. Well, what was interesting in, in the documentary is that uh, everybody in the documentary 
all the family members, you know, the, the, the doc was done with the cooperation of the family, which, as you know, sometimes can be difficult because everybody's trying to protect themselves or burnish their image or not be, not be very truthful to the camera. But I found everybody was very truthful. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of tragic things admitted during this documentary. But, um, the, the, but the one guy who literally shut McDonald down and, and McDonald used it is Bobby Brown. So when, we, when Kevin McDonald asked Bobby Brown, and you hear Kevin McDonald's voice in, in the documentary, when he asked Bobby Brown how much drugs had to do with the death of Whitney Houston, he, he said, I'm not going to answer that. And, hmm. and he said that not because it's too private or because it's too tragic or because he doesn't want to relive it. It's because he doesn't, he, he doesn't want to say something that's going to wind up incriminating him in the public eye. So he says, I'm not going to talk about that. So there's, there's a lot going on with that guy. I, I, I'm not a Bobby Brown fan, but... Um, I mean, I love his music. Who didn't? Who didn't love Bobby Brown's music? His music. No, the music, the music of New Edition. Can you? Can you say? Yeah. Let me tell you something. I think you know what I think. I think Cole Porter, Frank Sinatra, Bruce Springsteen, Bobby Brown. It's a continuum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking somewhere. You know, Bell, Biv, and DeVoe are standing around thinking, "Man, we dodged a bullet." Dodged a bullet in that one. <laughs> you know? That was the mess. <laughs> so it's, it's 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 been a lot of fun here. It's um. You know, there's, I did go see it. Probably the biggest film here was The Sisters Brothers. Uh, I went to the press conference with uh, director Jacques Odiar. I hear it's and, uh, great. Stars Wilkie Phoenix and John C. Riley, And that was a lot of fun, especially now. You, you, you guys will love this. So, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is notoriously press shy. Yeah. yeah. And so we're sitting at this press conference, and everyone loves John C. Riley, But, of course, all the questions go to... Jacques Audiard, because he's a French director. It's a French festival, basically. Nothing but French press there. Some Americans. Uh, so Jacques is getting all the questions. And some of the questions went to some of the actors. And Joaquin Phoenix, literally, for the entire length of the press conference, says nothing. Even to the, even the questions <laughs> that were directed to him, he said nothing. And then at the very end, the very last question, uh, they're asked, uh, both actors are asked about what it's like to work with, a, or why they wanted to work with Jacques. And of course, John C. gives his usual, you know, entertaining John C. answer. Yeah. And then at the very end, Joaquin finally says, I wanted to work with Jacques because I liked the way he talked about the characters. And that was the only thing he said in an entire 30-minute press conference. And when, when, when he said those words, conference was over. So, <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix literally sat there for 29 minutes and 45 seconds of a press conference saying nothing, and then he got hit, and then he got in the last dozen words, and the press conference was over. You know, that's very Nick Park like. When I've mm -hmm. when I when I've been at press uh, junkets with Nick Park and Peter Lord, it's almost like the reason you know the Ardman guys. It's almost like the reason that they are are partners is because Peter Lord does not stop talking. He's very gregarious. He's very outgoing. He you know he's very engaging. And Nick Park is very like he's like the you know the, the the soft talker on Seinfeld. He will just sit there, very introverted, very shy, and you 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 literally almost have to run over and just and grab him by the lapels and shake him to get him to chime in on something. No, it's, it was the same way with James Ivory and Ishmael Merchant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could not shut Ishmael Merchant up, um, and, and he would be he would very happily explain to you exactly what James Ivory was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when James did this or James did that. Well, let me say, let me explain to you what James was thinking. And James was perfectly happy to let him. Uh, you know, so I don't know. Some people are the, guy, are the guys with the microphone. Yeah, there you go. Well, well if, if you, if you are blue, a few Blu-ray uh, Blu fans, one of the um, 
one of the documentaries here was uh, the Great Buster, a celebration, which was a uh, which is uh, Peter Bogdanovich's uh, documentary about Buster Keaton, which I think is going to be on Cohen Media's re-release Ooh, of all nice. the Buster's films. Now, Wade Majors, is that correct? I guess I hadn't heard of this. I didn't. I did not know this even existed. So that's very. This exciting. is what I have heard that uh, uh, Cohen Media bankrolled this documentary. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich directed it, and he also. Uh, he also narrates it, and from what I had heard, uh, Cohen's going to put that documentary as a major extra on some sort of re-release of Buster Keaton's uh, films. I don't know if it's which films, maybe his feature-length films, maybe just his short stories. I have well, no idea. Uh, this, this is a feature-length doc by Peter Bogdanovich? Oh, yes. Feature-length. Uh, it's about an hour and 45 minutes. It's 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 pretty standard. I mean, he, you know, Bogdanovich doesn't really do much or say much we haven't heard before, but, you know, it's Peter Bogdanovich. He's been around for a long time. He's Oscar nominated. He deserves his shot at telling the story of Keaton. You know, he's That's done documentaries before. That's pretty great. Um, he's, he's, I think he's in, no, I guess he's on that uh, Orson Welles doc uh, for the Netflix did for The Other Side of the Wind. For the, well, the, yeah. the Netflix produced, released The Other Side of the Wind, and I think they produced a doc about the other side of the wind. Who is that? Morgan? Is that Morgan? Um, ooh, Morgan Neville or something? Like that? I can't remember who. Morgan Neville. Yeah. Morgan yeah. Neville sounds familiar. Yeah. Well, you know. So, they, so interesting. Because Cohen Cohen owns the Rohauer collection, and the Rohauer collection is one is one of the two major silent film archives. There's Rohauer and there's Blackhawk, which was David Shepard's collection, and David Shepard's Blackhawk films are basically divided between uh, Flicker Alley. And uh, Kino, so all of their all of their pressings of you know D.W. Griffith and Keaton and and whatever that all comes out through Kino, uh, but there's also you know also really really good prints in some cases even better ones with the Rohauer collection which are slowly coming out through Cohen. So that means that Cohen is going to release a uh, a Buster Keaton set of some kind, and uh, that's pretty great that they they they're going to have the the Bogdanovich on it. That's great. That's really good news. That's that. That's, that's breaking news. To seeing. Love to see that. Mark just broke news. It's a scoop. <laughs> it's a scoop. Let me tell you something. Like, you know what? You learn a lot here in Doville. First of all, you 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 learn how to spend twenty one euros on a on, on a drink. Yeah, I've yeah. learned that. Um, you know, Doville's actually a very nice town. It's nightlife wise, there's really not much going on, but um, it's a beautiful town. Uh, I'm really enjoying my time here. So, I've seen so, a lot of films. Today's the last day. Uh, the only two films, just to be honest with our longtime uh, listeners and fans, the only two films I'm going to miss, which I'm, which I am uh, very angry about, is the Hal Ashby documentary. Which I, Ashby, I, I watched it last night. Uh, you know what? Uh, did they send you a link, or did they? Uh... They sent me a link. Uh, but do you now? By the way, you should know this. Do you know the? You know, you know that kind of came across um, uh, Dave Barnblatt and my desk four years ago. Do you know this? Mm, no. See, that's interesting because, as we've mentioned on this show before, you know Melinda Dillon, who was in Close Encounters and uh, Absence of Malice, Oscar nominated, very good friend of ours. Um, I grew up with her son, Mark, and Mark knows her son as well. So years ago, um, Dave Barnblatt and I re-edited her reel uh, for her. Now she was also in a Hal Ashby film. She was she played a double role in Bound for Glory. So Dave, uh, our friend Dave Barnblatt, who is a, a producer of commercials and music videos and documentaries, Dave was uh, somehow through his connections, the, the women who were making Hal four years ago when it was not called Hal, it was called something else, uh, they came into contact with him and, and Melinda came up and he said, I know Melinda. 
um, we could we could you know see if she's interested in, in maybe being interviewed for for the film. And uh, so uh, I don't think Melinda wound up actually doing an interview for it, but uh, that that was four years ago that they were they were kind of scoping out and trying to get hold of people and putting it together. So I've been waiting for four years to find out what would happen to that film, and it finally came together, and it is really good. I mean, it's oh, actually wow. I, I will say this: I think it's too short. It's about ninety minutes long, and uh, they don't really cover his films from the eighties. They mainly focus on those that that you know those seven films from the from the seventies. Um, and, uh, or that, that like seven year period, what is it? Five films in seven years, something like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, so it's pretty much, you know, that collection of movies in the seventies and his life. And in, in 90 minutes, you, you really blow through it. I could, this could very easily have been a three hour documentary to me, just throwing more clips, more clips, more interviews. Um, but there are a lot of people who are not interviewed like Goldie Hawn and, uh, Warren Beatty are not interviewed, but, um, is what they what they have is great. Norman Jewison's all over it. When you got Jewison, it's all good. So yeah. you will see it when you get back, Mark. It's great. Here's my question. Well, I, I, I've, I've, I've requested a link uh, okay. from the publicist when you're back. The other film, by the way, I uh, will not, I have not seen because uh, I got here too late, is Galveston, which is um, with Ben Foster and Elle Fanning, directed Ooh. by Melanie Laurent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Melanie. When I when I uh, when I interviewed her for Cocoa, she was uh, she was talking about that. So I'm really curious to see how that turns out. Here's a question, stop, Mark. Stop, stop, stop showing up. What? What? Now? You've you've been in you've been in Deauville all this time. Have you learned how to make dough? Uh, no, but I have learned how to make uh, a bill, and it's and okay. bill is delicious. You, the, the, the tough part is is separating the ingredients and just mixing them at the right time. But if if you can make a great bill, then you, you you've really learned something very okay. valuable. All right. Very good. I don't know what I just said, Wade. Uh, okay, yeah. I made that up. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm, you know what, Wade? I'm I'm, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that. Get right back to it. Oh, yeah. Perfect. That's so terrible. <laughs> all right. That's well, so terrible. guys, this is all good. I think the listeners will be thrilled. Mark, we're looking forward to uh, to, to getting you, uh, I don't know, where you, where do you go after this? You're, you're a vagabond now. Uh, I'm a temporary vagabond. So I leave uh, I leave Deauville tomorrow morning. Uh, the festival ends tomorrow, uh, but the awards are tonight. So I'll just get out of town tomorrow morning. I'll head back to, I'm going to head back to Paris. And I'm Patty? just going to continue. I'm just going to continue blowing through money uh, with with complete abandon. Fantastic. Complete abandon or reckless abandon? Because you know they're not the same. <laughs> is that right? Wait, what, what is the difference between complete abandon and reckless? I, I, I guess complete just means fully, but reckless means uh, dangerous. <laughs> yes. Exactly, brother. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm, you That's know what? It. I'm doing. I'm doing both. So congratulations. Congratulations. All right. And Thanks on that much. note, uh, we'll, we'll uh, let you go and uh, we will get back to our regular podcast. As Mark, well. Mark! 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 I now return you to your regularly scheduled podcast. Beep.